Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another one of our weekly podcasts. My name is Richard. On behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Last week, we heard from Pastor Chris as we got back into the book of Ephesians at chapter 4, starting at verses 7 and going all the way to verse 16. This week, we're going to hear from Pastor Chris again as we look at the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, starting at verses 17, going to verse 32. Now, with all that said and done, let's go ahead and dive into this week's message with Pastor Chris. They had all received the invitation, tens, even hundreds of thousands of people, and whispers and rumors and, and uh, little discussions were going on. What is it all about? And so the people, they went to this town, to this place called Shechem, and there they sent their elders to go talk to the man who invited them, and his name was Joshua. It's called Shechem, sending their elders to go talk to Joshua. And there Joshua, in the land that God had promised his people, speaks to them. And he reminds them how God has always been with them. How God was with their fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. How he called them, how he protected, how he provided for them, and how he led them into the land of promise. How God had never forgotten about his people in Egypt. 400 years they were enslaved. And they cried out to God. And Joshua is telling the people, God heard your cries. God was listening. And God with a mighty hand delivered you out. Through the blood of the lamb, you were set free. You were brought into the land of promise. And there all your enemies were laid at your feet. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. As Christians in the church, it's the same story. You see, in the book of Ephesians, the the, uh, scripture that we've been studying, Paul is essentially saying the same thing, that you were enslaved You were burdened, you were downcast, you were estranged from God, but God bought you out. He purchased you through the blood of the lamb. And through that, the angel of death has passed over. You've been unshackled. You've been set free as free men. Choose this day, Christian, whom you'll serve. Who's it gonna be? And so our text this morning in Ephesians chapter four verses 17 through 32, is essentially talking about that, choosing the Lord on our everyday walk. Now, if you remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians is about what? What God has done for you, done for us, right? And then we get to chapters four, chapters five, and chapter six. And Paul says, all right, Christian, it's time for you to return the favor. It's time for you to now walk worthy. And so he takes three chapters to tell us, the Christian, the church, how we are to walk in this life. And so the first step, the first stride is a walk of what? Unity, solidarity, togetherness, oneness. We are called to walk together, striving to be peacemakers in the body 
and then striving to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our capabilities to bless the church, to build the church up. And in so doing, we walk this life in unity, in togetherness. Now, the next step, and we're going to spend a month talking about the next step, is sensibly. Walk sensibly. Not only walk in unity, but walk together in in the same mind of the same spirit in the same way. Walk in a sensible way. And so turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're taking verses 17 through 32 on how we are to walk a sensible way. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles. Now, in the New Testament, Gentiles can be used in two ways. It can be used nationally or racially to identify somebody who is a non-Jew. So in the Old Testament, a Gentile was somebody outside of the covenant, outside the promises, outside of a relationship with God, and therefore they were, uh, you know, uh, outside of the race and outside of the promise, and they were Gentiles. There's another way the Bible uses the term Gentiles, and it's not racial, but it's um, spiritual. What was that? It's spiritual, meaning you aren't, uh, it doesn't matter what race you are, it just matters about who you believe in. So a Gentile can be a non-Jew, or it can also refer to an unbeliever, to an, a follower or someone who doesn't follow after Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying in our walk of sensibility, we are not to walk as the world. You are not to walk as the unbeliever. You are not to follow in the same footsteps as everyone else. Now, here's the backdrop. Where is, who is Paul writing to? The book of Ephesus, he's writing to who? The Ephesians, right? It's a group of believers in a city called Ephesus. Now, does anybody know what was so special about Ephesus during the time Paul wrote this? It was a huge center. It was a, a marketplace, and, and it was just a, it was a, a bustling metropolis. But there was something really special about Ephesus. So there in Ephesus, they had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And it was the great, magnificent temple to Diana, which is the Roman goddess or the Greek equivalent goddess, Artemis. Now, if you're a DC fan, if you're into comics, the character Wonder Woman was taken from this goddess Diana or Artemis. So this massive temple, this ancient wonder of the world there in Ephesus where Diana's temple was housed had everything, everything, the central bank, the the governmental authorities, everything ran through this temple. So what's the big deal with that? Well, the temple was ran by eunuchs, If you don't know what they are, they're men who had a little bit too much snipped off the top, if you know what I mean. And they ran the temple, and they organized the priestesses. Now, the priestesses typically numbered between 1 to 2,000, and their job was temple prostitutes. See, Diana was the goddess of pleasure. And so how do you honor the goddess of pleasure? Well, you 
please yourself and you please others. So these eunuchs ran a big pimp show and they had thousands of priestesses that gave their bodies for a temple tax. They would also have bestiality, which is intimacy with animals. They would have homosexuality, orgies, uh, the drinking of blood, animal sacrifices. It was just a putrid place. And the entire uh, place of Ephesus was drawn to that. That was their identity. Go back in Acts 19 sometime this week and read it. Paul goes to Ephesus, and they wanted to rip him apart limb to limb. And you ask, well, why? And it's because he went preaching the gospel in Ephesus, planted a church, and people are starting to follow Jesus. Well, meanwhile, these, little, uh, these guys who made these little statues of Diana where they would worship and, and buy these statues, their funds started going down. And they started realizing, hey, these patrons are turning into Christians, and they're no longer you know, going to the temple and having sex with these prostitutes and worshiping Diana, and our money's going down. So the entire city rioted, and they wanted to rip the Christians apart. That's how defiled Ephesus was. That's the backdrop. And Paul is writing to these people, and he's saying, don't walk in that way. You are not to go back to where you came from. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. And then he gives us three reasons or characteristics to look out for that the unbelieving world practices. And they are, number one, a darkened mind. Number two, a hardened heart. And number three, an impure walk. The way of the world will always lead to a darkened mind, a hardened heart, and an impure walk. He says, so I say and I affirm together with the Lord that you are no longer just to no long, you are no longer to walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. So when you have a worldview that opposes God or outright rejects God, the Bible says you are then a person who has a darkened mind. Your understanding has been blackened. It has been blinded to the truth. And this is very interesting because Paul uses this word futility, and it has two shades of meaning. One means futile in the sense that there's no purpose. There's no meaning. Life is just nothingness. I'm indifferent to it. So one worldview, and this is predominant, when you reject God, is a worldview where life is just indifferent or it doesn't matter. It's a big, fancy, pretentious term that's called fatalism. And that is just basically saying life is always the way it's going to be. It is what it is. The, the earth keeps on spinning. And I'm just uh, an organism dancing to my DNA made up of materials from the periodic table. And when this organism dies, it's over. There's no real point, which makes sense because if you remove the author of life, there's no point to life. And so when you remove God, you end up in one camp, which means life doesn't really matter and there's no purpose to it. Or this other shade of this, this idea of futility is a vain life, which means my sole purpose for living and my sole purpose for finding meaning in life is through experience. It's through vain living and vain attempts, which is another big word called hedonism, 
which means a purpose, the purpose in life is to live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. YOLO. You know, it past is gone. Tomorrow's not, uh, you know, promise, but today's the, the present. So live it up. Do everything you can here and now because that's all we're here to do. So the unbeliever's mind ends up in one of two places. Life doesn't matter or the only meaning for matter is uh, fun and pleasure and all the rest. Both of those viewpoints are futile in the sense that they both lead to dead ends. No purpose in living or the purpose in living is just to live, laugh, and love, which leads in vanity and in darkened living. And he goes on, he says, the darkened mind of the unbelieving world is being darkened in their understanding. The word darkened means blinded. And the word understanding is how they perceive things. When a human being rejects God and follows after their own inhibitions or their, their own wants or desires or sees the world through their darkened view, they come out with all kinds of crazy understandings. The Bible is saying when you reject God, your understanding of the world is blinded. You can't see and it's the participle from it happened in the past and it continues to this very day. The one who rejects God is permanently blind. They are walking in blindness. They do not see. And so when you hear their worldviews, they sound insane to us. They sound absolutely crazy. One example is this gender identity or fluidity or male and female, they're, they're the same, which is it's incredibly stupid. When you reject the author of truth, you're left with the lie. So bone density, muscle structure, difference in reproductive systems, chromosomes, down to the DNA, there's difference. A three-year-old can tell the difference between a male and a female, a boy and a girl. But when you reject God, you become your own God. You become your own authority. You set the standard. You say what is right and what isn't right, even if it goes against the facts. And so the world will inevitably lead to an, lead to an ignorant way of living because they have rejected the author of truth. So Paul says, don't go back to the world who has a darkened understanding, who is blinded in their worldviews, and number two, which leads to a darkened heart excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. The Greek word hardness is porosis. When you break a bone and the bone heals and it's even harder than it was before, that's the idea. It's the idea of having a rock that's so strong, the Greek said would break marble. And that's the hardened heart of the unbeliever. It is so hard that it's even stronger than marble and unwilling to believe in the Lord. You see, the heart is the, the, the means in which a person believes. We confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe with our heart that God has raised him from the dead. When you have a hardened heart, a heart of stone instead of a heart of flesh, you ultimately want to reject God. You say, no, 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 I don't want you. And here's the, the really interesting thing is when man rejects God, so oftentimes we have this idea that God is just on his knees begging. Oh, please come, please, please come. Nothing farther from the truth. Man rejects God. You know what God does? Chale. 
I'll reject you. You don't want me? Okay. I don't want you. Best example is Pharaoh. You go back to Pharaoh and Moses, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, okay, they can go. And then he changes his mind and hardens his heart to the Lord. And what did God do? Hardened his heart. 14 times Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Seven times Pharaoh said, I'm going to reject you, God. Seven times God says, okay, I reject you too. He'll meet you right where you're at. It's like the old story of the farmer and the butcher. Oh, I'll probably butcher this one. It's the farmer and the baker. The farmer and the baker. The baker went to the farmer every day to buy a pound of butter for his bakery. As time went on, he started noticing that the pound of butter became lighter and lighter and lighter. He went to the judge and he said, this guy's ripping me off. The judge says, all right, explain yourself. And the farmer says, well, sir, I don't have weights for my scales. I only use the, the baker's loaf. And the idea is this, that the baker is furious at the farmer for ripping him off. But all the farmer's really doing is just meeting the baker right where he is, giving him the exact same that he's receiving. And God does that very same thing. A person rejects God, God says, I will reject you to the same measure. When it comes to forgiveness, what does Jesus say? To the measure in which you forgive, hey, I'll forgive you. God is fair, God is just, God is pure, he and, and he is equal. If man wants to reject him, God will let them have their way. You go from the darkened heart to the hardened, or darkened mind to the hardened heart, and then lastly, to the impure walk. Where your mind goes, your actions follow. Verse 19, and they have, became cal have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Where your mind goes, your body follows. When your mind's in the gutter, your actions are going to be in the gutter. Garbage in, garbage out. Paul is saying when you have a darkened mind and your heart is heavy and hardened towards God, then your actions are going to be ungodly, unrighteous, impure. Why is that? Because the natural inclination and tendency of man is sinful. And I say this all the time. You don't have to teach your kids to lie or to steal or to be, be disobedient. They naturally do it. They're simply dancing to their DNA. The whole Christian experience is rewiring that, turning away from that. And so why does man, uh, or why does man have a hard heart towards God? Because God rejected them because they rejected him. In Romans 1.18, it will tell us exactly why. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Why does uh, man reject God? Because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They know the truth. They don't want the truth, and so they go against the truth. The word suppress means to sail against the storm or to sail into a current, to go against the grain. The natural man fights against God. 
It's a war, enmity against one another. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And God revealed himself, verse 19 and 20, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The Bible says all men know God exists because of the conscience and because of creation. Conscience tells us right and wrong. Now, if there's right in the world, if there's ev- uh, good in the world, then there's evil in the world. And the differentiating or the dividing line between good and evil is that dividing line or objective moral truth. So when you look at the world, whether you're black or white or Asian, whether you're born in uh, 1500 BC or, or eight, uh, 1800 in Europe or in 2020, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're born or whatever culture you're from, there's an objective moral law. People know it's wrong to murder. People know it's wrong to steal. People know it's wrong to rape. People know it's wrong to commit genocide, no matter what culture you come from. So if there's an objective moral law, what does that tell you about God? There's someone who gave that moral law. There's an objective moral law giver. And so the conscience testifies to every human being that God is alive and that he's revealed himself. And he's revealed himself to, through creation. You look at the telescope, you look at a microscope, and all of it points to the finger of God. God's everywhere. And he's revealed himself through the gospel. So God reveals, and listen to this, man rejects. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their own impurities so that their bodies would be dishonored among themselves. God reveals, man rejects, man reasons God away because they don't want to be controlled, and then man replaces God with their own God. And so man is their own God in control of their own destiny, and they're the ones in control of their own objective moral truth And when that happens, God gives them up. You want to reject me? Go have at it. And so what happens when you have a corrupted mind and a corrupted body? Well, you do corrupt things. Homosexuality, bestiality, disobedient to parents, lying, and all the rest. It is a, as a verse 21 or verse 19 says, sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So Paul says, walk away from the world, throw it off, put it off, and put on the new man. Verse 20 and following, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard of him and you have been taught in him, just as in truth as in Jesus, that in reference to the, your former manner of life, 
You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in the accordance with the lusts of the flesh. He's saying, Christian, you did not learn sensuality. You did not learn immorality from Jesus. You haven't learned anything of the sort. In fact, you've learned just the opposite. You are called to lay aside the old life. And the word is, or the picture is to take off dirty clothes. Take off dirty clothes and throw them away. Take off the filth of the old life and throw it in the dirty hamper. Get it off of your body. It has no uh, purpose for being in, on you. Your old former life, you have no purpose walking in. Many of the people in the Ephesian church may have been prostitutes, former prostitutes from the temple. They may have been former pimps. They may maybe have been uh, people who had partaken and went along with the orgies and all the rest. And Paul is saying, you've been washed from that. Don't go back and put on the dirty clothes. Don't fall back into the old lifestyle. And this to me was the most important part of this whole text. And then he says this, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. What is he saying? He's saying, Christian, why do you go back to the old life? You've been washed. You've been clean. You've been given gifts. You've been given talents. You've been given abilities. You've been given a family, the church. You've been given a relationship with God. Why do you go back to the old life? And he gives us the reason. And if we reverse engineer this, it makes life easier. He says, the old life is corrupting in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The word corrupting means rotted flesh, and it means to have a stench. Now, when you live in after the world, the Bible says you're going to sow a stench or corruption. Now, he's saying, why are you going to go back to the old life of corruption? And he tells us why we get tricked. He tells us why the Christian goes back like a dog to his vomit. He says it's because of the, the lusts of deceit. What does that mean? That means that you and I, when we sin, we tell ourselves this, that the grass is greener on the other side. That's where it all starts. Because in life, we want homeostasis. In life, we want peace. In life, we want a sense of, it feels good. And so we go to great extents and great lengths to to give those comforts, air conditioning, air conditioning and soft clothes and nice couches and all the rest. We want to be comfortable. We want to be at peace. But life isn't static. It's moving. It's up and down. There's dips and free falls and turns and potholes in the road. And and life is always throwing our desire and our want for peace all over the place. So when we get jolted by something and we have stress, anxieties and worries and bills are coming and all these real emotions are, are being pent up, Our desire is I want to get back to homeostasis. I want to get back to that place of peace. How do I do that? The correct answer is godliness with contentment, which brings great gain. The the correct answer is my contentment is in Christ, so I seek him. And in that, the peace which passes all understanding will guard my heart and mind in Christ. But the flesh, we we don't always do that. What does the flesh say? 
Hey, remember when back in the days you were stressed out? Man, you used to just hit those girls up. You used to just go hit that pipe up. You used to just go run over there and hang out with those people. That's what, you, that's what brought you back. It's the bottle. That's what makes you comfortable and at peace and, and gives you that ability to get through where you need to get through. You know, we lie to ourselves and we say the grass is green on the, on the other side. Contentment is there. My, my peace or my desire to be, you know, be good is, is through this thing. And it's a lie. It's the lusts of deceit. It's like when Barbosa grabs that app when he bites into it and it turns into gravel. That's what Paul is saying. He says, when you have a screwed up worldview, your life and the actions you take are going to be jacked up. They're going to be just all over the place and all messed up. And that's going to corrupt you. And that's going to make your life a stinky life. And you're not called to have a stinky, messed up, burden-filled, sin-filled life. Forsake that by not falling and being duped by the lie that your flesh is always telling you. That if I have this thing, then I'll be happy. This is the exact same thing that brought the mighty David down. If you look at David's life, his life was at all-time highs just before he saw Bathsheba. His kingdom was the biggest. He had so much power. He was righteous. He loved the Lord. On all fronts, he was killing it. And then his flesh deceived him. And he says, well, she looks better than my wife. Grass is greener on the other side. The lusts of deceit. He did it, and his whole life was in shambles. He lost his child. His other son revolted against him. He lost his kingdom. His other son was was murdered by his own commander. His life was a disaster, all because he trusted in the lusts of deceit. Paul says, you really want to conquer? You want to forsake the world in your own lifestyle? Stop being tricked by the lie that life is better outside of God. Because it's not. That website will never bring you fulfillment. It might bring you instant gratification, but midterm and long-term effects are disastrous. So Paul says, forsake, put off the old world and put off your old world and put on the new man, verse 23 and 24, and that you be renewed in, in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The word renewed there in verse 23 for you construction guys means to tear something down to the studs and build it brand new. It means to do a full remodel. And what Paul is saying in verse 23 is if you want to put off the old man and you want to put on the new man, it starts with your mind. Because where your mind goes, your actions follow. And so as Christians, we are called to have a new mind, a redeveloped mind, a remodeled mind. How many here grew up in the church? All right. So for the rest of us, you spent 25 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or however many years picking up bad habits, the former way of life, sinful actions, uh, unrealistic worldviews, illogical worldviews. And so your whole life you've believed one thing and now you've come to the truth and scripture says, 
throw away everything you've learned, tear it all down, build it back up again through the word of God. That's how you put on the new mind or the new man. It's through thinking differently. Because where your mind goes, your actions follow. And so we knew the mind through the word of God, putting on the new self, which, in the, is, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So what does a new mind do? It creates new works. It creates a new lifestyle. What does that lifestyle look like? Righteousness, which means you do what is right. That's all it means. When you feed the homeless, an unbeliever and a believer realizes that's a righteous action. When you help uh, widows and orphans, unbelievers and believers realize that's a righteous action. The Bible is saying when your mind, when this book has remodeled your mind, your life will have righteous actions. They will protrude from your life and you will have holiness of the truth, which means you will be separated to the truth. As opposed to living the world views, the world's lies, you'll be separated unto the truth. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will know what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Not conformed to the world, but transformed through the renewing of your mind. 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Did you get that? The word of God equips who? You, the church, for every good work. You get equipped for your good works. So we are called to put off the world, our old world, and we are called to put on the new man, which is built up in the word of God. And then verse 25 through 32 is the laundry list. The, the dirty hamper and the clean clothes. How, uh, verse 25 to 32 is how you can strut your stuff for Jesus and look good doing it. It's how to walk and look good while doing it. Verse 25 through 32. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we gonna throw away lying and we're going to put on truth-telling. That's the way of the Christian. We are to put off falsehoods, and we are to put on telling the truth. Now, telling the truth means not only speaking the truth, it means writing the truth too, i.e. applications, i.e. resumes, i.e., and I, I'm going to do it, I'm going to say it, i.e. Uncle Sam and IRS and paying your taxes and not fudging on your taxes. It means being honest completely across the board. Remember, somebody went to Jesus and they asked him, do we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, give me a coin. Got the coin, he says, whose face is on this coin? Caesar's face. That's right. 
flips the coin back. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. Here's a a follow-up question. Whose image is on you? Right? You were created in the image of God. So give to God what is God's. Give it all. Give it all. And it is to be through honesty. Throw away the lying tongue. Put on truth. Speak to one another in truth. Why is that? Verse 25, for we are members of one another. We are members of the same body. Now, in your own body, what happens when you lie to yourself? It's disastrous, right? I'm going on a diet tomorrow, says me five years ago, right? When we lie to ourselves, it's disastrous. When we are one body and we lie to each other, it's disastrous. We're called to walk in unity. Therefore, being truthful and honest is at the top. So Paul says, throw away the former self, which is speaking lies, and put on the new self, which is truth speaking. Here's the second pair. We are to throw away unrighteous anger, and we are to put on righteous anger. Verse 26, be angry, and yet do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Here's number two of the laundry list. Throw away unrighteous anger. Put on righteous anger. Notice what it says. It says, be angry, just don't sin. Now, the Bible doesn't doesn't tell us or command us to not be angry. That's a a natural emotion, like crying, like laughing, and all the rest. It's a natural emotion. It becomes sinful when your anger controls you, and you can't control your anger. Unrighteous anger is the anger which explodes. It can't hold itself. It's the exact opposite of what it means to be a peacemaker, where it can't control the heat, and it just explodes. Throw that out and put on righteous anger, which is controlled, which is restrained, which is respectful. Don't let your sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity to get in there and just break things up. I heard a pastor when I first got saved a long time ago talk about how um, he and his wife got in an argument. And how she threw this verse in his face as he was walking out the bedroom door with with his uh, blanket and his pillow off to the couch. And she said, babe, the Bible says, don't let your sun go down on your anger. And he whipped around. He says, well, it's sunny in China. Slammed the door. And he went downstairs. (laughs) The purpose of don't let your sun go down is simply meaning don't let it compound. Don't let your anger compound. And then you're seething. And then you're, you're starting to believe things that may or may not be true. And then you're starting to add fuel to the fire. And you're, you're starting to add things that they may have done to you way back in the days that never was addressed. And now this little argument has turned into this huge thing. And the Bible is saying, don't let that happen. See, the best thing you can do, especially if you're in a marriage and you get in a fight or at night or whatever, is don't go to bed that way. Don't, you don't, it doesn't say resolve it that night. You know, if, it, if it's been a problem for 10 years, it's not going to be resolved in one night. And it's not going to be resolved when both of you are really amped up and tired and grumpy and all the rest. So we're not talking resolving it, but what we are talking is addressing it. 
going to the Lord and, and, and to your spouse saying, hey, this is where I messed up. I'm not looking for an apology right now. We can discuss this at a later time and move on. You see, un, that's righteous anger done in a righteous way. God has righteous anger. Christ threw over tables and chased out people with cords. Righteous anger is not sinful, and we are called to operate in that way. If you have a problem, you talk to somebody in, in the right manner, and then you deal with it when you have the ability to do so. But you throw away this explosive anger and temper, and you put on long-suffering. Here's the third one. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Throw away stealing and put on giving. The whole point of that verse is don't take, give. Stop being a consumer Christian and stop being a del- start being a delivering Christian. Stop being a Burger King Christian, have it my way, you know, and start being a Christian where you say, no, I'm going to give it out. I'm going to dish it out. I'm going to serve and I'm going to bless other people. Notice the, the purpose of making money. Did you see that? What was the purpose of making money? It's right there in, in that verse. So that you can do what with it? Give it away. The point of money is to give it away. Not to amass it, not to hoard it, to get it and then bless others with it. Let it come to you and out the back door. You are to take it, give it away. Take it, give it away. Unlike the world that is based on greed, we are those who are to be those who not take but give. So we tell the truth, not lie. We have righteous anger, not unrighteous anger. We give, we don't take. Here's number four, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Here's another one. Don't tear people down, build people up. Stop tearing people down with your words. That's the old you. That's the former life. That's the the way of the world. I remember in high school, me and my friends, all we did all lunch was spend 30 minutes just clowning each other and ragging each other. And we were so good at being comics. I mean, we got so good at tearing each other down. Then you become a Christian. It's like, man, that's how that was my comedy. That's how I used to laugh and joke. And now you have to rewire all this stuff. We're called not to chop people down. We're called to build people up. (laughs) My wife is looking at me like, you need some more work on that one. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the the day of redemption. The next one is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This is a big one. If you think of it, you possess Christ and you possess the Spirit. The question is, do they possess you? Wherever you go and whatever you do, they're coming along for the ride. And so don't grieve the spirit by going back to the former ways of life. When I was speaking to a a group of high school kids at a a local campus, um, I was teaching on sexual purity. And And I told them from 1 Corinthians that the Bible says if you join yourself to a harlot or someone who's outside of marriage, you're joining Christ to that person. So you're not just having sex with that person. It's a threesome. You're, you're bringing the king of kings along with you. 
Now, do you want to do that? Can you see yourself doing that? Are you okay with that? And every one of the kids was like, I cannot believe what he just said. But that's what the Bible says. Christ is in you. Where you go, he goes. The Spirit of God is in you. What you do, he experiences. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't go back to the former ways of life. Don't do it. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Here's the final laundry list. Verse 31, these are the things that need to be thrown in the the hamper. They're not to be for the Christian. These are the old ways of life. Let all bitterness... That means unforgiveness. That means being angry to the point where you do not seek reconciliation. That Christian has to go. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's just going to kill you. It kills you from the inside out. We have to let all bitterness and unforgiveness go. Throw it in the dirty hamper. Don't pick it up again. Wrath and anger and clamor. Wrath is, is, um, is that outburst of wrath. Anger is that inside where you spend weeks or months or years just seething and it's boiling and you're scheming and you're planning. And then clamor is don't be that TikTok person. You know, where you're, uh, you're uh, going viral because you're in front of the store like screaming at the clerk. That's what the word clamor means, to be yelling and screaming and making this huge scene. Don't be that guy. Don't be that person. Throw away anger and clamor and that loud, aggressive behavior. And slander, which means to, to criticize other people. Put, away, put that away from you along with all malice. And so what do we put on? And we'll close with this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving each other. So to be kind means to love practically. That's what it means, just to love practically. If you're an electrician and somebody in the church, their lights go out, then you love on them practically. You be kind to one another. The second thing is uh, tender-hearted. The world is what? What did uh, Paul say? Has a dark mind and a what? When it comes to the heart. A hardened heart, a calloused heart. What does the Christian have? Verse 32, a tender heart. That just means it's easily pricked. It's sensitive. It's sensitive to the things of God. You look good with your glasses. It's aging you, man. (laughs) And, you know, it's being tender to the needs of other people, being sensitive to the needs of others. And then lastly, forgiving each other. Why do we forgive each other? Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, seven times, 70. It's not a math equation. Jesus said, you forgive as many times as you need to forgive. Well, that's not fair. Well, God forgave you in Christ. That's not fair. That's the point is we dish out just as God has given us. We walk worthy because God has given us so much. So we forsake the world because they have a darkened mind, which means their worldview is anti-Christ. 
which leads to a uh, calloused heart. They are uh, have animosity towards God because of that. They are enmity towards God. And because of that, God gives them over. And so the natural man lives out sinful lusts, natural inclinations. They beat and dance to their own DNA. We don't do that. We forsake our life. We get fed the word of God, rechanging, remodeling our own mind because where our mind goes, our actions follow. We are to live righteously towards God, putting off the things of the world, putting on the things of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you uh, again for your text and your scripture. We thank you, God, that um, you have given us so much. You've called us a body. You've called us to walk worthy. You even told us how to dress. Putting off the former things, the hood rat skirts of our former lives, Lord God, and putting on the, the modesties and the powers of your spirit. And so, Lord, I just pray that um, you would help us and that you would equip us for such a time as this. Lord, we are going to have to make a stand here in America as the, the world continues to, to propagate lies and falsehoods, uh, we will have to make a stand. And every single Christian is going to have to choose this day whom they will serve. Father, you've called us from the world. You've saved us from sin. You've delivered us from death. You've equipped us. You've given us a good life, Lord. And now you just call us to walk sensibly, not forsaking you, not returning to our vomit, but taking the word of God, putting it in our minds, allowing it to infiltrate our souls so that we could honor you. God, would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. that is the end of this week's podcast. We thank you for joining us for another inspiring message. If you enjoyed this teaching, please take a moment and share it with others. If you're interested and would like to find out more information about our location, time of worship service, or even what ministries we offer, we encourage you to visit our Facebook page at Journey Community Church Fontana, where you can find all that information and more. Again, on behalf of Journey Community Church in Fontana, we thank you for tuning in. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here next time.